BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. In California, the handling of a canine by a deputy is raising the eyebrows of animal lovers all over the nation. A $2 billion lottery ticket can mean prison for the lucky winner. And in Oklahoma, a dead longhorn steer is firing up a fraternity at Oklahoma State. These stories and more coming at you today, Wednesday, December 6th, on Real Life Real Crime Daily, and I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Everton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Good morning, guys. Good morning. What's up? What's up? Hump day. It is hump indeed. Day. Anybody going to catch a little hump on hump day? I have no idea. It's good, good chance on hump day. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Who knows? So we got a handicap of uh, high possibility on one and no possibility on another and the other that doesn't know what the day will bring. Well, we'll see. Right? Who knows? But good to be back in the saddle with you boys and – Let's get down some true crime time for Wednesday. And we're going to start off in California in a Riverside County Sheriff's deputy. Mikey, familiar with Riverside is? Of course. All right. Well, tell us. They call it the Inland Empire, the Riverside San Bernardino area. So you're talking uh, like between L.A. and Palm Springs. Okay. Well, a sheriff's deputy there is under investigation after a video from a recent traffic stop showed the deputy slamming his canine partner to the ground. It happened in the Moreno Valley. A video posted to YouTube by Riverside County Accountability showed the uh, interaction unfolding, and it started with two deputy cruisers pulling over to the side of the road. Two deputies got out of the first cruiser with one holding his gun toward a photographer. Another deputy got out of the cruiser in the back along with his canine partner. Deputies said they were called out to investigate whether the man had a gun on him. Complying with deputies' commands, the man walked backwards towards the deputies with his hands behind his head. One of the deputies handcuffed him and another searched him. While all that was happening, the deputy handling the canine off, uh, handling the canine walked closer. The dog's feet can be seen dangling in the air as the deputy walked forward. That's when the dog appeared to get snapped up at his handler's hands. The deputy responded by lifting the dog, shoving it to the ground, and shouting, No! 
The deputy then tried to separate himself and his canine from the situation. As he walked back to his cruiser, the deputy appeared to wind up and slap the dog on the nose. The deputies eventually let the man go, determined that he was carrying a taser and that he had not committed any crime. The Riverside County Sheriff's Office said it's aware of the video of the deputy and his canine, and they understand why this video may be upsetting to some members of the community. Our Professional Standards Bureau has received several complaints and are investigating. So we have that actual video, and we love the listeners' feedback on this one. So take a look at it. We'll post it today on the on the Facebook page, and let us know what you think. When I looked at it, uh, it looked like that canine was about to attack yeah. that man, and he was doing what he could do to keep – the canine from doing that so the let me tell you about this these dogs are highly trained by professionals first and then when you if you're a canine handler you have to actually go to wherever this facility is and spend like a week uh kind of like a basic training camp and where they teach you all the commands and things to do and not to do with the dog yeah. and you become acclimated with your dog and they become acclimated with you and they actually at least in the apartments i know of the dog actually lives at home with you it's not like you go check them out every day um they have certain ways to discipline them and stuff like that the one thing you don't want to have happen is oh yeah it might have been a young canine who's you know first time out and they're overexcited and it's not behaving some of them just like good and bad in their profession some of them just need more training or they're young and they're overzealous and and I don't know what the procedure is about slapping them on the nose or whatever. Certainly not advocating any kind of canine abuse, but I would imagine that um, they have they have very strict rules and look, not just everybody can be a canine handler. You gotta be something special and you gotta have a you know, uh, a want to to do it. So Yeah. Yeah. And was it one of those uh, Malmois? Or? I'm sure it was. That's pretty much what everybody uses now, Belgian Malmois. And how big? Those dogs weigh what? Like a hundred? They're like a hundred pounds. Yeah, they're, they're almost the size of a German Shepherd. Uh, uh, I would say, I don't know, eighty pounds, something like that. You don't so want a strong one. dog. I mean, yeah, tough yeah, to yeah you don't want one on your ass. Yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I see them when they do the training in the body suits, and. You know, they take off running and they give the commands. These dogs hit you, they're knocking you down. And, uh, they're badass. I remember on Fear Factor years ago, they had a canine that would, ch- you know, one of the, the challenges was the canine would chase you and you'd be in that oh, canine yeah. suit. Yeah, I've done that. Yeah. Man, they'd hit them people. Oh, it, 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 boom. They hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. They'd take you down. So crazy, crazy. Y'all ever play the lottery? Sure. Yeah, I like to do it when it gets up to like a billion dollars or I think whatever. I played it once in my life, man. I mean, it's worth to me 10 bucks to think about what I would do if I wanted. Yeah, that's right. Entertaining. Like I'm, I'm going to buy a ranch in Wyoming. It's so big. I have to have two helicopters to get just to get across it and stuff like that, right? But anyway, take you out to – well, let me tell you this story. So last year, Edwin Castro became the biggest winner in the history of the lottery. Or so he thought. Months after Castro was announced as the winner, a man named Jose Rivera cried foul. Rivera claimed he was the rightful owner of the ticket and the winner of the huge $2 billion prize. $2 billion. Yeah, $2 billion. You mean after the cash, you're getting a billion, right? If you take the cash option. But Castro 
who's a lifelong gardener, accused his landlord, Urachi Reggie Romero, of stealing the life-altering ticket before it somehow ended up in Castro's hands. Both Castro and Romero were named as defendants in Rivera's lawsuit. The lawsuit alleges that Reggie stole the ticket from Rivera on the day it was purchased, and the lawsuit seeks, naturally, seeks damages and declaration that Rivera is the rightful winner of the historic jackpot. Rivera reported the alleged theft and filed a civil case last year, despite Castro and Romero's denials, as well as the California State Lottery Commission's confirmation that it was Castro's face seen in the surveillance footage buying the video ticket. I mean, buying the, buying the ticket. Okay. Now, a year later, Rivera has been charged with filing a false police report. Authorities believe Rivera wasted their time on a frivolous claim, and they said, it's ridiculous that they are trying to put charges on me for my own ticket. I don't have words for it, Rivera said, but I showed them that I am the rightful winner. I was the one who bought the ticket. I'm going to show everyone that I'm the rightful winner. Well, Rivera showed up to his arraignment Friday ready for what he called war, decked out in a bright blue L.A. Dodgers T-shirt matching hat and white pants. If God wants me in jail for my own ticket, oh, well, that's what he wants. But I'm a fighting to the end, Rivera said. I want justice, and I'm going to show the world. Hopefully, I get justice. He asserted that he wasn't hungry on money and that he has taken a break from working since the record-breaking ticket was revealed to focus on his ongoing legal battles. He faces up to six months in jail, probation, and fines up to the 1000 bucks for allegedly filing a false police report. It's been difficult for me and my family, Rivera said, adding that his family has supported him emotionally and financially since he filed the report. I had my own business. I was a gardener, and I'm proud of being a gardener and a hardworking man. It's going to blow up. I don't want money. I want the truth. I'm tired, right? <laughs> I think you might want some money. Well, listen to this part. He's, then he says, people think I'm stupid. I'm not stupid. I'm actually very, very smart. Well, <laughs> Rivera did not enter a plea on uh, Friday and told the court that he wanted to speak to a public defender before s- deciding whether to hire his own lawyer. His arraignment was pushed back, and his civil case against Castro, the Lottery Commission, and Romero has been continued until next February. At this point, it appears there's more evidence of OJ's innocence than there is it was Rivera who bought the winning ticket. Now, you know what this dude's thinking. He's like, I'm going to file this. I'm going to harass him so much that they're just going to give me $100,000 to go away. He's got $2 I billion. Think right. Right? I think you're right. I think you're right. And it's a, yeah, well, fuck him. He shouldn't have wasted the police time. And now he's wasting the court system's time, and he's not going to get a penny. And I mean— they do this. They go back and they verify it. Everywhere the lottery tickets are sold, they have cameras. And certainly they're going to do it on a $2 billion case and go back and say, okay, yep, this ticket was purchased at such such time, and they're going to verify who the person was that purchased it. Yeah. yeah, And since they don't know when they're purchasing that it's a $2 right, billion dollar right, winner, right, there's probably right, not some right. conspiracy against exactly. the Rivera guy. And, and this guy evidently didn't know they had cameras. So now he's, <laughs> he's in for a penny and for a pound, and he's like, fuck it, I'm going to ride it. Oh God! Whatever. You know what's shocking though that you're winning two billion because that during this time do they hold back from allowing the guy to collect it or have they? Uh, but most people will wait. They'll get like an attorney and financial buys and everything else. And they'll wait till close to the end of the date to go in and get it. So this guy's trying to say, "Oh, I had to quit my business and I'm suffering mentally and all this." He's just trying to get get a penny. 
another idiot. <laughs> a total idiot, but, uh, you know, maybe he's not that dumb, as he said. Uh, it seemed like, in at least some cases, that strategy might work to get a guy who just had $2 billion handed to him to give you 50 grand to go away or whatever. But, okay, well, this past weekend saw the Texas Longhorns defeat the Oklahoma State Cowboys in the Big 12 championship game, which I didn't even realize at the time cemented Texas's uh, – uh, done. The invite into the college football semifinal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're playing for that, and then um, it's also the last game before they join the SEC. Yeah, right. Hence the fifty people from Austin that are asking me to help them get tickets because they're right. playing in the Sugar Bowl, right. Right. Um, uh, which is going to be very difficult to do. But but long before the players suited up to take the field, there was a bit of mayhem involving a Longhorn steer. The Longhorn was found dead outside of an Oklahoma State fraternity house on Friday morning. OSU is appalled at the disturbing display of animal cruelty that occurred overnight on Friday at an off-campus fraternity house, shared the university. The Stillwater, that's where uh, OSU is, Stillwater, Oklahoma. The Stillwater Police Department spokesperson, Terry Lowe, said that the Longhorn's carcass was found in the front yard of the university's farmhouse fraternity at 6.39 a.m. Once officers arrived on scene, they confirmed that the cow was deceased and requested assistance from our criminal investigations division, Lowe said. He also revealed that an investigation is currently underway and the person or persons responsible for the crime could face an animal cruelty charge, which is a felony. Uh, In my 14 years, I've never come across a crime like this, added low. This is very disgusting. The farmhouse fraternity posted on Facebook following the discovery saying, quote, no farmhouse member was involved in this incident and we we do not condone cruelty or defacing of livestock in any manner. Uh, I'd never heard of farmhouse, of a farmhouse fraternity. So I had to do a – I had to do a little digging, and apparently Farmhouse is a social fraternity that was founded at the University of Missouri back in 1905 and became a national organization in 1921 and today has 33 active chapters. Farmhouse is really an agricultural club and fraternity combined. Its membership exists to reflect the Christian values and culture of farmers. So we've got a frat house built uh, full of Right. Young farmer and kids who uh, grew up on the farm. Farmers.com or Lonely uh, Farmers or whatever. Uh, you ever uh, seen that? Uh, yeah, yeah, Dating yeah. that? Uh, uh, farmers only. Yeah, farmers only. Yeah. Uh, just like OnlyFans. Very similar. Um, <laughs> so when you think about who the what farmhouse is, it's likely not the frat playing, you know, some kind of you know, big kegger before the championship game and, you know, more likely a target for a different type of fraternity or group. The organization said that the carcass was branded in an inappropriate manner. The uh, the Real Life World Crime Daily I team did some digging and found that the brand on the long horde said, fuck farmhouse. Yeah. Mm. As a chapter founded on principles driven by our agricultural roots, we are just as sickened and surprised by this incident as our peers on campus read the statement from Farmhouse. It's disheartening to see the disregard for proper animal welfare and treatment displayed by this situation. The Farmhouse frat at OSU was founded in 1928 and strives to build men in the most crucial aspects of their lives and develop bonds that carry on throughout life, according to the chapter's website. 
Only about 30% of longhorns are used for their beef. I didn't know that. Ranchers raise them primarily for the value of their horns. An average steer is worth around $10,000, and some can be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Exactly what the meaning of a dead longhorn placed on the farmhouse frat property with an F farmhouse branding message is, I'm not sure. I guess I, anybody I got any it. ideas? I don't get it other than uh, frat boys being frat boys when they do stupid shit. And, uh, but a but Texas that, frat doing it to I, them or another OSU frat I, doing I, it to them? I don't know. I don't know. They, just, they're going to have to pay for it. It's not going to be good. Somebody's getting expelled. Well, somebody, yeah, somebody will have loose lips. It, I mean, that yeah, seems like yeah. one that you're. When it comes uh, down when daddy's sitting in the room like, you little bastard, you better tell him what happens yeah. so you don't get your ass expelled. I paid too much money for this. It has some frat and boys they, sweating. Right. But those those frat boys can be pretty tight-lipped when they yeah, get. Yeah. When, when they get. Everybody's tight-lipped. So they get about punched the farmhouse. They get right. punched in the mouth from mom and daddy in the room. And like, your whole fucking future is about to be ruined. Well, but you know it was like six idiotic pledges that yeah, were well, forced I mean, to yeah. go. Go bring the thing, yeah, and, okay. and then the actives are threatening the pledges with right. you know right. certain death. Hey, look, if they, that, if they that, the that word. steer is not light. It's not like one person drug it into the yard, and, right? Yeah. So we'll wait to see what happens. The world has become a smaller place, and people are traveling more freely between countries than ever before. And companies are doing more business outside of their home countries than ever before. The geniuses at Rosetta Stone saw this trend beginning to develop years ago and have dedicated decades toward researching and refining the best and most efficient way to teach someone a new language. Rosetta Stone has been one of our most loyal sponsors here at Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show, and that's because many of you out there have trusted Rosetta Stone to prepare you for everything from a family reunion to a once-in-a-lifetime trip to a business trip in a faraway country. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program in the galaxy. Rosetta Stone's been there for us with a great product at a great price. Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert in language learning for 30 years with millions of users. Rosetta Stone's intuitive process helps you pick up a new language naturally so you retain what you learn, and their true accent speech recognition feature is like having a personal trainer. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Au revoir. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 
21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. We're going to bring you to Louisiana and a Louisiana town council meeting that ended in chaos when its mayor got into a shouting match with residents and smacked a phone out of the hands of a woman recording the scene. Mayor Keisha Lemoyne of Elton, which is a town of a little more than a thousand people in Louisiana's Jefferson Davis Parish, was charged with battery for the outburst. Uh, Video shows Lemoyne yelling and being held back by some of those who attended the meeting as she exited the room. She then turns her attention to the woman filming and tries to swat the phone out of her hands, prompting the woman to yell, keep your fucking hands off me. (laughs) (laughs) The mayor is held back by someone else and then led away as a police officer also steps in. Lemoyne defended her actions, saying someone threatened her family. The threat wasn't captured on video, however. Uh, As a mother, I'm a protector, and that really made me come out of character, LeMoyne said. I do apologize for my actions because I'm the mayor and they hold me to a different standard, but I'm human and I got feelings. Tensions rose during the meeting when the topic of grants came up and someone asked about a grant writer who is believed to have been fired. Video then showed Elton Mayor Keisha LeMoyne locking heads with an unidentified woman who she later argued with uh, inside a meeting room. We're talking about the budget. You're way off on something else, LeMoyne snapped, proceeding to get visibly more angry. We are on the budget. You're out of order. You say something else, we're going to escort you out. Conversation then shifted to the topic of the mayor's salary. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, that's when you really get pissed, Right. right? So after the meeting adjourned, the arguing continued. That led to an altercation in the hallway. Uh, And actually, this mayor, no stranger to controversy. Uh, There was some stuff going on earlier this year when a petition to remove LeMoyne from office was introduced after allegations of voter fraud. After Monday's incident, a second recall petition was delivered to Louisiana Governor John Bell Edwards' office. In June, LeMoyne's son was charged with assaulting the whistleblower of the voting irregularities, and he was sentenced to probation for the assault, which took place at an Elton car wash. LeMoyne was elected last year after serving eight years on the town council and was the mayor pro temp uh, for the year preceding the election. We got the raw cell phone footage, of course. Mm-hmm. And so make sure to follow the Facebook page at Real Life Real Crime Daily because you got to see this one. It's, yeah, he's it's def- entertaining to say oh, the least. He's, he's going to get arrested. And he, he, um, a batter in the state of Louisiana is an unwanted touching. And I submit to you that if you slap someone's cell phone out of the hand, that's an unwanted touching. And even mayors can be arrested. Yep. So. Voter fraud in a town of a thousand people? It don't I mean, take much, does it? <laughs> okay, let's say you figure they, maybe fifty percent actually. Vote. I was going to say let's say they way outperform any anywhere else, and seventy percent of the people. It's seven hundred votes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go count them door to door, person for person, right. and figure it out fast enough. Yeah, yeah. well, it happens. Miss Miss Keisha, she's she's in a little hot water right now. Sounds so. like it. Well, I mean, yeah, I've told y'all a lot of, or I've told lifers a lot of stories about 
stabbings that I worked and everything else and about overkill. And one of my episodes is actually named overkill. But let me ask you a question. What do y'all think is, if you stab someone, what do you think is a number of times that you stab them before it comes overkill? (laughs) Five. Um, Yeah, I was going to say five, too. Okay, well, there's actually not a set number, but this one is higher than I've ever heard. So a California woman named Bryn uh, Speaker was convicted of involuntary manslaughter Friday in the 2018 death of her boyfriend after she stabbed him over 100 times. Oh, my gosh. What would your body mean? Right, during a connect, uh, cannabis-induced psychosis. Cannabis-induced psychosis? Right, right. I never heard of that. I thought you well, got happy and peaceful. Well, that's not always true because, like, the the story I did. Must have been the, the guy, purple. Cut the, he smoked the potpourri and cut the uh, baby out of his wife's stomach. But anyway, it could have oh, been yeah, that. Yeah. The jury took less than four hours to find uh, Bryn, who is 32, guilty of killing her partner, Chad O'Melia. Um, Bryn sobbed hysterically throughout the court appearance, and the couple had only been together for a few weeks when uh, Bryn attacked O'Melia after she took two hits from his bong back in May of 2018. <laughs> She then went into a psychotic episode and stabbed her new boyfriend 108 times, which eventually killed him, right? She also stabbed herself repeatedly. Officers arrived at Amelia's residence in Thousand Oaks the following morning to find Bren screaming hysterically next to her boyfriend's blood-soaked body. She was still holding a knife in her hand when they arrived, and he was pronounced dead at the scene. When the responding officers attempted to disarm her, she plunged the bread knife she was holding into her neck. Oh, my right? gosh, man. How do you do that? She also stabbed her dog during the rampage, but he survived his wounds. During the trial, no one argued that she didn't kill Amelia. The prosecutor struggled with the idea of a cannabis-induced psychosis equating to murder and ultimately chose to charge her with involuntary manslaughter for which she was convicted. So I don't know. I've never heard any. If not, we're not real cannabis. It's pretty harmless shit, right? Hundred and eight. Hundred. That's the most I've ever heard. Imagine if you just sat here right now and tapped times. the table. Hundred. When I did times. it on, my, on the episode, yeah. the, when the girl did it thirty-seven times, a hundred and eight times, and then you stab yourself in the neck and your own dog. Yeah, she's. You know, I mean, something sent her crazy. Right. I just. That, yeah. She might have been a little crazy. I don't know who else yeah. that guy sold that weed to, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's well, the purple. We had a purple. bunch of other stories of people getting stabbed 108 times from smoking a bong, right? <laughs> In the same area, anyway. Yeah, you don't hear too much of that with right. regular, well, regular we, grass or whatever. We've uh, we've had some murderers in their 50s, and then we started seeing some murderers in their 60s, like a couple months ago. And Older we had people be. Couple, out there. couple in their 70s pop up in the last few weeks. And today I've got an 84-year-old in Pennsylvania. An 84-year-old Pennsylvania man was arrested after being accused of beating his wife to death in their home. Oh, my God. Montgomery County DA Kevin Steele said in a press release that Barton Seltman, age 84, was arrested on murder charges after his wife, Margaret Seltman, age 85, was found dead in their home in the lower Pottsgrove Township. 
The release went on to say that on Tuesday at about 2.30, officers received a call from Barton about, quote, an unresponsive female. Barton told 911 that someone had beat his wife and she was bleeding from the head and that their kitchen had been ransacked. When police arrived at the home, they said they found Barton on the rear porch with blood on his hands, face, and clothing. He was transported to the hospital for a hand injury. There's a... That common hand injury when using the knife, Woody. Um, Police said they found evidence at the scene that indicated Margaret had been struck multiple times in the head while lying on the kitchen floor and that the coroner's office determined that this was a homicide caused by blunt force injuries to the head. A joint homicide investigation by Lower Pottsgrove Police and Montgomery County detectives found that Margaret and Bart, or Bartin, were arguing about money for a veterinary care bill involving their cat when that argument turned physical. Right. I mean. The vet bill about the cat. So Barton told investigators that during the argument, his wife grabbed a knife and threatened to kill him. So he used a chair to push her down to the floor and repeatedly punched and hit her with a candle holder. Nice. Barton told investigators that his wife told him, quote, you're killing me before she, quote, went to sleep. Police also found a knife under Margaret's body and broken pieces of a candle holder at the scene. Barton was arraigned on charges of first-degree murder and third-degree murder. The couple had been married for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. So after seeing this story, I got to wondering how old the oldest person ever convicted of murder might be. And I found two stories I thought were interesting A Massachusetts woman named Laura Lundquist was charged with strangling her 100-year-old roommate to death in a nursing home back in 2009. Lundquist was 98 years old at the time of the murder, and the charge was still pending against her when she passed at age 103 back in 2014. In another story, a 100-year-old man bludgeoned his 88-year-old wife to death with an axe. Nice. While police were aware of the history of domestic issues between Michael and Rosalia Justin, it remains unclear why the elderly man carried out the murder-suicide late on Easter Sunday of 2015 in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. The 100-year-old killed his wife with an axe as she slept in their home and then took his own life in the bathroom with a knife. There you go. 100-year-old man. Oldies. I think, I think Mike snuck in two segments. Right there. Oh, three segments. Three segments. Like that's that. three that's, stories. That's, that's, four, that's right. Four that's right. paragraphs. Mike used all the segments for today, folks. No dumb criminals. You don't want to get cheated <laughs> out of my monst- my mobster story, which is coming up. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, we're going to move on to Arizona, and y'all. This could have been a, a WTF, right? I mean, it, this is crazy what I'm about to tell you. An Arizona man has been fired from his job as a hospital security guard and charged with numerous criminal counts for engaging in necrophilia with a 79-year-old's nice. corpse. How many? 79-year-old. Wow. Randall Bird, 46, stands accused of five crimes against a dead person. Uh, this from the Phoenix Police Department. Uh, Police said they received the initial call about the incident on October 24th. Officers arrived at Banner University Medical Center in Phoenix in response to suspected misconduct involving a man. After a lengthy investigation, 
Bird was finally arrested on Tuesday. He was able to quickly obtain bail and was granted supervised release. According to investigators, Bird worked as a security guard whose duties included transporting dead bodies to a freezer in the hospital's morgue. Video surveillance cited by law enforcement shows the body arrive, a body arrive at the hospital. The defendant was the guard responsible for transporting that body to the morgue. Two witnesses uh, reported finding the door to the morgue locked from the inside, which they said was not typical. The witnesses went on to describe seeing a light inside the freezer and the freezer door cracked open. The witnesses then told police they looked through the crack in the freezer to find Bird sweating profusely and acting very nervous. The defendant had removed his duty belt. He also uh, had his zipper down and his uniform was described by the witnesses as messy. The body bag was unzipped. The victimized corpse was face down and that Bird's belt was on top of a gurney. Eventually, the witnesses walked in on Bird. The security guard then tried to cover up the woman's body and went on to offer an excuse. What was the excuse? Uh, you know, it didn't say, but uh, I mean, what, what could, it could be? I, right, Yeah. Right. I she slipped. Un- she unzipped what? herself and, and she attacked me. Well, he, she's dead, right? He, he actually did try to offer an excuse that would make sense, and he. The defendant said he had a medical episode and fainted, Ugh. grabbing the body bag as he fell, it which is. accidentally ripped open the bag, broke the zipper in the process. The witnesses, you know, they were like, ah, oh, that's bullshit. Right. So they disputed those events uh, in comments to a supervisor, and they said uh, neither the bag nor the zipper were broken. So how right. is that possible, Mr. Bird? belt's off. That's right. A follow-up investigation by law enforcement eventually determined that the woman's dead body showed signs of trauma and, uh uh-oh, tested positive for Bird's DNA. Uh, I was about to say, you got to leave the DNA. The defendant, for his part, maintains that he fainted at the morgue but cannot remember what happened. Yeah, he's got to say something, right? (laughs) 78 year old lady, face down. Let me tell you. uh, That's... That's so twisted. We cover a lot of stuff on this show. Yeah. That's a crazy that story. I don't care who you are. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's just, uh, say, uh, there's people I mean, like that they, walking they really this are. earth. They really are. Once again, folks, if you want to make sure your loved ones are properly yes. cared for at right. the, at the right time, you got to go see our friends, Roy, Kristen, and Kristen, underneath that big American flag in Broussard, Louisiana. Yeah, absolutely. For Louisiana Funeral Services and Louisiana Pet, Pet Crematory. Yep. Uh, Rest and easy. that kind of chit won't happen. Right? Yep. Yep. Rest easy. Uh, and not with the people like that doing what they do. Crazy. It's crazy as hell. So back to I guess I'm the stabbing king today, y'all. This is another just crazy story. Um, so stabbing in Queens, New York, in a Queens, New York home on Sunday left five people dead. NYPD Chief Jeffrey uh, Maderi said at a press conference Sunday that officers received a 911 call around 5, 10 a.m. of an assault in progress. The young female caller stated that her cousin was killing her family members. 
A 28-year veteran and a 16-year veteran of the force responded to the scene and had an encounter with 38-year-old Courtney Gordon. Um, that's what the chief said. As they get to the driveway, they see a male walking out, and he's carrying luggage. The officers ask the man a question or two, and the encounter lasted all of about 10 seconds when the man pulled a knife. The man stabbed one officer in the neck and chest area and then stabbed the second officer in the head. Oh, my gosh. According to the chief, the 28-year-old veteran officer was able to draw his firearm and discharge his weapon to stop the assault. Thank goodness. The two officers were taken to the local hospital, uh, and the bad guy was pronounced dead on arrival. Additional officers responded to the scene found an 11-year-old girl lying dead at the front of the home. The chief said they could not enter the home because of a fire inside the living room in the foyer area. Once the fire department arrived on scene and put out the fire, firefighters found three additional victims, all who were dead. We believe everyone who is dead, the four family members, were all because of the stab wounds, the chief said. The the chief emphasized that an investigation remains ongoing and noted that the knife used to injure the officers was the only weapon recovered at the scene. Now, NYPD Chief of Detectives Joseph Kinney said Gordon was at the home visiting the family and had one prior arrest for domestic violence. Authorities have yet to uncover a motive behind Gordon's actions, but continue to discuss what happened with the 911 caller, hoping that they may be able to shed some light into the tragic incident. The identities of the victims were not released. However, Kenny noted that the injured individual at the hospital is a 61-year-old female. The three deceased individuals found inside the home include a 44-year-old female, a 12-year-old boy, and a male in his 30s. And I remember, y'all, there was also a little girl outside. And Kenny said the officers were doing all right, and both were released from the hospital later on Sunday. I just fucking world is crazy. Thank, I don't know how you get so close that you get stabbed in the head and in the vest and all, but thank God um, he was able to get some separation and put some lead in that asshole. Yes. And that's another one of those familicide right, 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 uh, yeah, um, crimes we've been talking about. I mean, yeah. this is the cousin who is taking out his cousins, his aunt, uncle, whatever. Fam- family annihilator, familicide. Uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. Holiday time, say shit always goes up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you used to hear every now and then about something like that, but and now it's now it's, it's daily. <clears throat> well, you guys love when I do mobster stories, I know. So we're going to do a little mobster story. All right. We do love our mobsters. An aging, reputed Genovese mobster stands accused of punching a Manhattan steakhouse owner, as part of an extortion plot. But Anthony Rom Romanello's attorney says he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He didn't do it to collect the gambling debt. He did it because the victim called him a washed-up Italian with no balls. The lawyer's proclamation came at the start of Romanello's trial last Wednesday. Romanello, who's 86 and an alleged capo in the Genovese crime family, was merely defending his honor uh, after restaurant uh, tour uh, uh, Bruno Salamage insulted him, and he punches like a girl anyway, defense attorney Jerry McMahon told jurors in the Brooklyn Federal Court. He didn't punch Bruno to collect no gambling debt. Bruno told him that he was a washed-up Italian and he had no balls and that he was nothing. 
He punched him. That 86-year-old guy sitting right there. He punched him because Bruno insulted him to his face. The elderly wise guy and an alleged accomplice reputed Genovese soldier Joseph Celso are on trial on two counts of extortion after allegedly being enlisted by a Queen's bookie and wannabe actor to collect $86,000 worth of gambling debts owed by the two Salamage's relatives, owned by two of Salamage's relatives. Taking the stand later on Wednesday, Salamage described how Romanello paid him a visit at his since-closed Lincoln Square Steak Restaurant back on May 11th of 2017. Salamage said Romanello flew into a rage after he told him he was only willing to pay the part of the debt owed by his nephew and not his nephew's brother-in-law. Rom kept saying, I'd like to punch you. I said, you ain't got no guts to punch me. A few seconds later, he punched me. Yes. <laughs> Prosecutors played video of the right-handed punch that connected with Salamage's jaw for the jurors during testimony. After getting slugged, Salamage told Romanello there were security cameras in the establishment, prompting the alleged longtime mafioso to hightail it out of there with his crew. Salamage filed a police report that night, but he ended up retracting it after 24 hours, within 24 hours, because his brother had relayed a threatening message from Celso that it would be a bad idea to go through with the complaint. In a written statement with the NYPD, Salamage recanted claiming Romanello, uh, claiming Romanello had had a few drinks during the confrontation and that the two of them had been acquaintances for 30 years. It was a misunderstanding between me and him. I think he didn't want to do that. But on the stand, Salamage said that the retraction was not true. I was afraid this mafia guy was going to hurt me, hurt my nephew. During cross-examination, jurors were read a transcript of a voicemail that Salamage left Romanello after getting hit, in which he taunted and swore at the mobster. Why don't you come back here and suck my dick, you motherfucker? <laughs> this is Bruno, Salamage allegedly said. Salamage told jurors he didn't remember leaving that message. Oh, God. The lawyer in his opening statement warned jurors that prosecutors would attempt to paint Romanello as delivering the hit to Salamage's face like 1950s American boxing legend Rocky Marciano might have. But, uh, but people that have viewed the crime will see that it was a much uh, tamer punch. The encounter took place while Romanello was a weekly guest at Salamage's restaurant. And, uh, but Brooklyn federal prosecutor Rebecca Schumann told the jury that Salamage was aware that getting on his patron's bad side wouldn't end well. And uh, we got a bunch of more of Italian comedy from this courtroom. But uh, this thing has just started and will continue. And we will bring you the highlights, as I'm sure there will be more highlights. So he's 89 years old through the punch? 86. 86. But he's 86 now. He threw it in 2017. So. Oh, fuck, he's still in it. So he would have been about 80. Yeah, that's crazy. Yo, Mike, that's a great fucking story. Yeah, right? Well, let's see what happens in the courtroom here. Oh, Lord. It still exists. But you know the what? The two Utes. They must be on hard they, times. There that, were no Utes involved in this one. Yeah. <laughs> it's been on hard times if you got to send an 80-year-old to collect a gambling debt. Well, yeah, I think it was. Have on the rock. Yeah, like, Where's what are you going to do, Papa? It was obviously supposed to be <laughs> yeah. gentlemanly. Well, he had his he had his uh, his nephew with the, the Celso guy with him, who was a younger guy. Hey, Celso. So Celso was going to teach his boy yeah, some man. If there was some yeah. teeth that needed to be rattled, I think Celso or was the one that was supposed to be rattling the teeth. But, well, but maybe the they old, needed to be fitted with he some was probably, shoes. He was probably seventy nine. The yeah. old guy yeah. lost his uh, lost his patience a little bit. That happens. That can happen. I'm sure it can. I think you, you need to be fitted with cement shoes. Right? That's right. 
Swim, for eighty six, eighty six grand worth of gambling debts, I don't know that you get you get some insurance for that. You get a payment plan. They don't want to kill them because at a less than they, favorable, they never uh, pays back. That's right. <laughs> less than favorable. That's right. You don't uh, want to kill your customers. Right. That's yeah. for sure. You got to get that big. And we are bringing you this mile high crime. Look, Phoenix police say fifty two year old Pavlina. Petrova and 28-year-old Bogdana Reyes ignored several do-not-enter signs and tried to head to the terminals through the secured exit rather than through TSA security. According to court documents, the woman, the women told TSA agents that they were late for their flight and were not going to wait in line at security. Huh. They're just skipping at it. You got no time for security. We're late. An official breach of security was declared, and police arrived at the airport and arrested both of these women for felony trespassing. Now, neither of the subjects were apologetic or appeared to understand the serious nature of their situation. That's the best part of this story. This is according to police. And I'm sure they were sitting there like, I mean, this ain't a big deal. Right. We, no just, big deal. we just, you know, we in a hurry. Out. Yeah, what they, you know, you can't run past right. security. Right, there's a, they're there for a reason. Right. So guess what? After after they didn't, they weren't very apologetic or uh, did not understand the seriousness of that situation. They were booked into jail in mm-hmm. a two thousand dollar bond. Rightfully so. So the police could say. It's serious. But it, you know they flipped out. Yeah. And normally when they break through the security like that, they shut everything down because they don't know if it's going to be a terrorist threat or, or whatever. Yeah. I mean, that could have – all joking aside, it doesn't seem like it's that big a deal, yeah, but, but you never know who it a, is crashing through there. There's a reason that they have those protocols. In place. They that, have, they have right. great – the best in the country moving sidewalks in that airport. If those idiots would have just got on the moving sidewalks, they'd have made up a bunch of time. That's right. Yeah. Well, there you go. Use travel the, travel tips moving, from night. Mike, moving coming. Sidewalks. New segment. Right. right. Moving sidewalks. I love to get on the same sidewalks and run like this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Make you feel like you're going so fast. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Kinky crimes for Wednesday. Hump day kinky hump crimes day are usually kinky pretty crimes. good. And this is a hump day one for sure. So... And listeners, if you don't know what a causeway is, it's a long bridge over a body of water, and we have the longest one in the United States here, not far from us. Uh, uh, but this one's in Florida. And a totally naked Florida couple was busted having sex on a causeway in front of a group of people with the woman telling cops, it was always a dream of mine. <laughs> Right, <laughs> so let me check this well, out. Sarah, can't relate to that. specifically was right. Sarah, Sarah Fazikas, who was fifty-five, and Robert Clark, who was sixty, were go. fully nude on top of one another on Friday. Hey. With Clark fully exposed. Uh oh. A witness described the horny fornicators encounter as <laughs> crack to sack going to town. Yes. <laughs> I have to say that going one. Down. It's a sack. Going to town. Police responded to the causeway in the Gulf Coast City and arrested the expeditionists after they were caught. As she was led away, Fazekas reportedly told officers 
that this was always a dream of mine, referring to having sex by the spectacular views of St. Joseph's Sound. Yeah, like Clark, it. meanwhile, it's exhibited no remorse, saying, hey, this is not like we were out here killing people. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> right? I mean, maybe I'm mean, 55 Might be making people. He was charged with lewd and lascivious, um, lascivious exhibition, a felony, and got a $50,000 bond, y'all. Good and grief. she was charged with exposing herself and was slapped with an additional narcotics charge Uh-oh. for having a closet pan inside an Altoids container in her purse. Always looking the Altoids container. Riding down the causeway. Yeah, crack the sack. That's it. Crack the sack. Crack that's the your sack. kinky crime yeah, that's kinky for people. Wednesday. Hey, I understand it's, it's always a dream of hers. He's I just didn't, feeling her was, dream. Was the dream specific to causeways or just in a vehicle? I guess the She didn't clarify. She said the St. Joseph's Sound. That's it. Mm, well, yeah. You can only do that from the causeway, I guess. Right. Give me some Banjo's Jim. Banjo's. Well, today we've got a really dumb criminal and a really sad ending for that dummy. Robotic pool cleaners mm-hmm. like Polaris, Nautilus, mm-hmm. Zodiac are really expensive pieces of right. technology if you own a pool. Right. Their prices range from a few hundred to over $1,000 for some of the models. Raul Antonio lived in Tampa Bay, Florida, a town loaded with pools and loaded with pool cleaners. Mm-hmm. Raul's M.O. seemed pretty ingenious. He had a fake pool service company sign he would attach to his van when he went out on pool cleaner robbery runs. He'd research houses on Google Earth and pull up in front of one He was cert- when he was certain no one was home. So he'd find a home with a pool and make sure nobody was home. Raul was stealing 10 or more of these pool cleaners a week and selling them on websites like eBay with no difficulty at all. Hmm. He did this for quite a while. Really nice side hustle for a guy who worked as a security guard at the mall. Hmm. Raul didn't grow up in Tampa and didn't grow up around pools. So when he slipped on some tiles and fell into the Green Family Pool on Bayshore Drive, Raul's little business was closed down forever. When did he die? He couldn't swim. That's Sorry. like being a boat captain and you don't know how to exactly. swim, right? I mean, if you're going to rob pools for a living, you'll be bending over taking these things out and stuff. Chances are you're going to fall in at some point. Dumb, yeah. He earned dumb his dumb banjo. Well. We got a little WTF for you to wrap up today's episode. This one's going to, you know, made me say WTF when I came across it. And a Florida man is arrested for quitting his job in the middle of transporting prison inmates. Oh, (laughs) I told you. Oh, malfeasance. So let me get into this one for you. An Orlando, Florida man was arrested after he drove a van full of prison inmates off course. And refused to stop while traveling to North Carolina. Uh. On Saturday, around 9 a.m., deputies received a call to be on the lookout for an inmate transport van traveling on I-40 in Statesville, North Carolina. 
The caller was the owner of the transport uh, inmate transport company and reported the driver was off course and refused to return the van. The driver, Joshua Pinkway, had four inmates in the locked cargo area of the van. Another employee was traveling in the van who was texting the transport company owner. <laughs> I bet he was. Right. Dude, yeah, this guy's kidnapping me. Uh, Pinkway told the owner he was quitting his job in the middle of the trip and that he was going back to North Carolina. (laughs) Inmates and all. That's it. Uh, Deputies stopped the van in I-40 and learned that uh, Pinquat was supposed to stop at a location in Hickory with the inmates, but refused to stop. So apparently he Just called them and said, I quit. And they said, well, stop in Hickory. Screw that. I'm going to my house. And you don't pay me enough. That's it. Yeah. So, <laughs> in the that's middle of transport, that's a month of yeah, just doing a road trip trouble. with the with the fellas. I mean, yeah, definitely never heard of that. One I guess before. he figured he wouldn't get a ride home if well, he quit. Them, I bet the convicts loved stopped it. in Hickory. Yeah, that shit. Convicts loved it. The only thing missing was a stop at the Waffle House on that. Well, that's that's right. some and of, an Indiana basketball team. If yeah, yeah. might have gave some <laughs> of the convicts flashbacks of being pulled over again and arrested. Yeah. I don't know. Funny, man. That's a good one. Well, that was it. That definitely made me say WTF. So, what are you, Everton? Any final thoughts? Oh, I don't know. I um, just love and appreciate each and every one of y'all. Please continue to like and share and go leave us a review if you're so inclined. And just love. Mike? Your message is love. Love and peace. Okay, I'll go. I'll go along with that. I'll go go along with love. I'll go along with love. Mike also says love. Uh, All right, until next time, I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. And I'm Mike Agavino. Your host of Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Peace. Aglats. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co